0: it's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now. Apostle Grace with the word. I had started a teaching on understanding the biblical perspective on witchcraft or the biblical understanding of witchcraft. And why did I title it that way? Because there are people who have opinions about witchcraft that are not necessarily biblical. They are built out of folklore, childhood stories that they used to receive (laughs) on fireplaces, traditions, and doctrines of devils and demon spirits. Those have foundationally defined many people's opinions about witchcraft. And so I took time to share what witchcraft is. And today is going to be a continuation of that. Today, I'm going to narrow this down to witchcraft in the church, and misbelievers. There's witchcraft within the church, and it's a hard thing for people to understand it or interpret it because not many people understand the way of darkness and light. So, why do we share about it? Second Corinthians, the second chapter, the eleventh verse. It warns us that if we are not informed. If we don't have a certain understanding in the spirit, Satan will have an advantage over us. So he says, least Satan should get, not may, not could, but should. The word there, should, speaks of an indelible command in the spirit that will make it so, right? So when the Bible says, least Satan should get an advantage over us for we are not ignorant of his devices. It means that because of the ignorance of how this fellow works, many people are held in bondage, and Satan has an advantage over them in any aspect of life. So that is why we want to take some time to help us understand some of these things, praise God. When we're talking about witchcraft in the church, we're talking about the things that Satan, like I described for us, witchcraft. If I can define witchcraft for you in my simplest way of defining it, I'm talking about that place where Satan Imposes his will over mankind, his will over humanity. That is witchcraft, and like I've shared before in the Old Testament, there were two definitions distinctly. That was sorcery and divination, and I explain what all of that is. And so, when it comes to the church, there are fundamentally three things that. Witchcraft intends to achieve within the church or amidst believers. One, intimidation. Two, manipulation. To manipulate people. And three, domination. That's the purpose of witchcraft to intimidate people. And what is intimidation? The act of controlling the ways and character of people with threatenings to injure or harm if they don't obey the rules or the laws of an individual. That is intimidation. Talking about manipulation, manipulation is the taking advantage of somebody who you assume is gullible, and they are not able to understand the deception in your heart as an individual And then you take advantage of their ignorance in their souls to make them do things. This manipulator does not intimidate, they don't threaten, but with trickery of words, craftiness, they find their way into causing people to go into sin or to walk off the course of God. And domination is the imposing spirit that wants to control all power. You see? And it's best described in how certain people within the circles of church, for example, emphasize how their opinions are higher than other people's opinions. Their ideas are higher than their ideas. If they say something, it has to be so. It cannot be otherwise. It cannot change. Even when it's wrong, they have said it, and that means they are true. There are certain religions where we have the infallibility of certain leaders of some sects in the world where if the leader of that sect has said that this is right, whether it's biblical or it's not, it is taken. So that is domination, the exercising of power and that place of imposing your opinion without taking in account that certain opinions also matter even when they don't come from you. Or that other people are equally as important before God because the spirit of domination sort of creates the impression that certain people are important and other people are not important. Those three, as I'm continuing to share, you will be picking that this is intimidation, this is manipulation, this is part of domination, whatever it is, as I'm sharing these things, your spirit will be understanding because the end of all that goes back to these three things. Now, we're going to talk about three areas in the church where witchcraft has been imminent. You see? Because I'm going to emphasize this, that Satan is crafty. He's crafty. When Paul says in Corinthians that I fear least by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve, any means, do you hear? Any means, right? The means could be intimidation. The means could be manipulation. The means could be domination. List by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. He's subtle. He's a wise creature, right? He says, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. Paul has a genuine fear for the church that actually Satan can deceive and mislead men of the cause. So because they have a very unclear, obscure definition of witchcraft. They think witchcraft is when a man puts on black magic and then, you know, uh, colors his face with some color and then puts on a certain way, and they say, ah, this is a witch doctor, this is witchcraft. That's how they understand what? Witchcraft. So Satan has, in his subtility, crept in unawares into the church and introduced a form of witchcraft that is not easily discernible by the simple eye. Because, like Proverbs says, they love simplicity. There is an attraction to simplicity. And that's why he rebukes them in Proverbs and says, how will you simple ones love simplicity? Because the wisdom of God comes to give subtility to the simple. God does not like that simplicity. The English word there for simple means people who are shallow. God hates. He doesn't like you or want you to walk in a shallowness. He wants you to be wise. That is why the Proverbs are given to the Son of Man, that a man will receive subtlety and that the young man shall receive knowledge and discretion. That's what the Bible says. So, there are three things that Satan has in the most hidden manner crept in unawares and introduced witchcraft. Number one, doctrine. Satan knew or knows that If he wants to introduce darkness into the church, he can only introduce it through the means and the elements of ministration. Christianity is a teaching ministry. You understand what I'm saying? Christianity is fundamentally a doctrinal ministry. We are of doctrine. We are doctrine people. You see? There are a thousand denominations in the Pentecostal movement. A report was released that we have about a thousand denominations in the Pentecostal movement. And why do they differ from that different denomination? Simple. They could not agree on doctrine. Doctrine is a very powerful tool in the body of Christ. Do we ever baptize with water? Do we not baptize with water? Do we dedicate children? Do we not dedicate children. What age do we dedicate them at? What age do we baptize people? All of that is doctrinal. How do we appoint ministers in the church? How do we wed off people? How do we deal with strangers that come? How do we deal with money? How do we deal with the politics in a nation? How do we deal with education? How do we deal with health? How do we deal with many aspects of human life? And there, then we form doctrines according to our interpretation of scripture. Are you following what I'm saying? So, one of the most imminent doctrines, how do we live our lives of salvation? Very imminent. How do we live our lives of salvation? Do we live our lives of salvation through our tireless commitment to pleasing God through works? Or do we live our life of salvation through faith and therefore we walk each day by day by his grace? It's a question fundamentally. You see? Now, let's go back to the conversation of Galatians 3. Paul is talking to the church in Galatia. Why? If you have read the book of Galatians, Paul goes to the church in Galatia, introduces the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaches them how to walk the free life in God. They're saved by grace through faith, and then they start living that life of faith because grace has saved you. Grace sustains you. Grace upholds you. Grace instructs you. Paul says it's important that the heart be established in grace and not with meats wherewith many have indulged but have not had the benefit thereof. You see, some people have many doctrines around life, but the Bible says that they have not profited, even though they have been occupied their ways. Huh? I'll give you a typical example. Do you know that the Pentecostal movement has overemphasized and gone beyond biblical truth in many aspects of deliverance. You see, because it can go one way, some are overemphasizing and so they go way beyond the boundaries of truth, or some actually loosely um, ignore and disqualify many aspects of the spirit realm and then fall on this side of laxity and coldness, all right? So I tell people, for example, some people go for deliverance every week. Every week they're in a deliverance service. They're casting out things out of them. They're rolling. They're screaming. And we, I have the anointing, and we do that. We cast them out. But only to a place where I can save this person's soul enough to get their attention, to teach them how to walk free and to tell them in the first place, you did not need to have this spirit or demon operating in your life. But some keep them there because that's how they keep ministry. See, So we ask questions. But if the son sets free, and whoever he sets free is free indeed, why do people continue in bondage for 30 years? What then did the son set free? How then should we interpret the salvation and deliverance of Christ if what you're dealing with this year is the same thing you're dealing with for the next 10 or 15 years of your life? which kind of demon has refused to leave the christian jesus found men with demon spirit and cast them out and at his word they left i would not hear any other activity of demonic sense in those people's lives. They are moving on and becoming testimonies in the world. How come people have become social experiments of demonic operation? They are casting out demons out of you every day, every week, every year. We have gone beyond the realm of truth in our definition of deliverance. And that in its own is witchcraft. I'm going to come to that. Some places of worship look now like shrines. Like witchcraft shrines. Of Africa why because we've pushed it a bit beyond way beyond truth. you see so I tell people look at the guy who goes for deliverance every day and look at a normal guy who is not born again and compare them and tell the same people or even worse the guys who don't know your God have better marriages, have better careers are better in health, That's what I'm saying, that we indulge ourselves in meats, occupy ourselves where we, but there is no evidence of profit. We confuse short fixes for eternal change. You understand what I'm saying? So Paul, he introduces the church of Galatians to the truth, and then he tells them learn to walk by grace. And then one day somebody comes into the church of Galatia, and introduces another doctrine. He introduces a doctrine of works, that you have to work out your salvation in fear and in trembling, and he pauses there. But yet the next line says, for it is God which works in you, both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. So he cuts scripture short, and he tells you, work out your salvation with fear and in trembling. That's the full stop. But the scripture did not end there. The scripture said, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So even though we are working out our salvation, it's not us actually who are working out our salvation. It is God working in us. He disqualifies the work of God working in you and then sheds light on your own works and ability to attain favor and grace before God. To attain salvation in your own works see, this is what happens. They have to cut scripture short and delude men of truth. So the people which began by grace now have started to do things in works to find fulfillment. Uh Aha, let me give those kinds of examples. Some people teach this way. And this is the teaching of darkness and deception. Somebody stands and says, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, sow a seed. That's a work. You see, sow a seed for the Holy Spirit, for you to receive the Holy Spirit. If you want to walk in healing, set aside 70 days of fasting, and then you will be healed. And so healing is subject to what you should do a certain work acts for you to heal. Let me explain fasting. Fasting does not move God to act. Fasting helps you, not God. So if a man, for example, fasted and has a testimony of fasting and got healed in the process, it does not mean that that is the standard God has placed in Scripture for healing. It only means that this man in the fasting and prayer bit his flesh to subjection of the Spirit for him to be available to receive the truth of God to be healed. So he's not healed because he fasted per se. He is healed because he bit his flesh to a place of receiving truth. You understand? But if a man's body is disciplined some other way to receive truth, he does not need to fast to get the healing because healing is not dependent on what we do. It is dependent on the hearing of truth. Somebody shout hallelujah. You see? Now, He comes to Galatians, and the conversation now changes from people which were receiving by faith. They start to now introduce works. Do you want to receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, fast for 17 days. Why? Because the house of Cornelius was fasting and praying, and that's how they received the Holy Ghost. No. The day I was baptized in the Holy Spirit I just finished my lunch. It was an afternoon of a full stomach, and a man said, raise your hands and receive, and I started speaking in tongues. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, they start walking into a life of works and works and works and works. And when Paul observes this from afar, he says, "Mm, this is not just false doctrine. This is witchcraft. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Christ Jesus has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. And then the second verse he asks them i want to learn this of you did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith when we gave you the spirit in the teaching did you receive the person of the holy spirit because you did 20 things and then later god found you acceptable to receive or you received it as you heard the truth, the Holy Spirit came to you. He continues down, he says, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, now you seek to be perfected in the flesh. He says, this I want to learn from you. He that ministereth power, the glory, the anointing, and worketh miracles among you, that's the fifth verse, does it do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How do you walk in the anointing? How do you walk in the miracles? How do you walk in the signs? How do you walk in the wonders? Do you walk in the signs and wonders and everything because of what you've done in the flesh or because you have the right doctrine? Because you have the right doctrine, thank you. That means if you know how to teach right, a man can walk in the miraculous. If you know how to teach right, a man can be filled and minister in the spirit. Those things are in the realm of teaching doctrine, not works. And so some people, instead of pointing on the truth, they started giving experiences of what they did to get healed, of what they have to do to do that. And today churches are bringing that kind of teaching back on the pulpit again in the things you have to do to be holy, the things you have to do to be righteous, the things you have to do to get this, the things you have to do to walk in this, the things you have to do to get in that. But when you look into the things that have to be done, unfortunately, they are works of the flesh and not the revelation of the spirit that comes through the hearing of faith. And when Paul sees that, he says, that is witchcraft. Oh, how many churches are practicing that kind of witchcraft? When we started preaching the grace message in Uganda, oh my goodness, they accused us of everything. Oh, they're telling people to sleep around. They're telling people that it's okay. As long as your spirit is okay, you can sin. They're telling people that it's okay. In fact, they started accusing us that we don't fast. Imagine, I fast more than any of those men, I think. And then they started accusing us of, we don't pray because we are under grace. We don't do this. And you see, you see, we don't fast. You see, why are they saying we don't fast? They're emphasizing the work of the flesh for the justification of a man's spirit and not the hearing of faith. You see why they were accusing us now? But we set aside days of fasting. We announce them over in television. We have days of prayer. We have personal prayer. I emphasize more personal prayer than the show-offs and altars of men which are deceived and are learning from patterns of people who don't have the results of prayer. We have done that. And they say, no, no, no. But you see, every accusation is what they're saying we do not do, and therefore they don't agree with us because of we do not do, not because necessarily we don't teach the doing of these things, but because we know that you begin from grace to walk in the realities of these things, not your works to invite the grace. There's a difference. We're all teaching that we need to walk right, but the way, the means is different. Satan has taught his own means of attaining righteousness. But the Bible says that how do we attain righteousness? Through faith. The Bible says that now the righteousness of God without the law, without works, has been revealed. Even the righteousness of God through faith. The prophets and the law testify of this righteousness. That very righteousness which is upon all who believe in Jesus Christ. For there is neither of them which is righteous for all have sinned. Righteous in works for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. So we believe, we teach that firstly the faith precedes the circumcision. Abraham did not obtain righteousness because of his circumcision. Paul asks in Romans, did you obtain it by circumcision or before circumcision? And the answer is that Abraham obtained righteousness before circumcision. So you are the righteousness of God even before you do anything, and therefore you walk right because ye are the righteousness of God. These men are teaching that you cannot be the righteousness of God until you walk right. That is witchcraft. That is witchcraft. That's why later Paul says in Galatians 5, again in Galatians, Stand ye therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Ha, let me emphasize that. Why does it say, stand ye therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free? When you become born again, you are born into freedom and liberty, for if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, now behold, the old is past, and now the new, and all things are become of God, you see, so he says, when you become born again, stand therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and he says, and be not yet entangled again with the yoke of bondage, when you become born again, what we are supposed to teach you is to walk and stay free, but what do our people teach? They teach you that when you become born again, you become born again with some demon spirits. You import some spirits from your family line. But you're a new creation. You're a new... house. How can any man be in Christ as a new creature? And God has said the old is past. Everything old on that man is past. And that man has become new. And everything he says is of God. How dare you read 2 Corinthians 5 17 and tell a man that when they become born again, they come with demonic curses. They come with generational curses. They come with certain spirits that they came with in their old fallen nature. And then they now start deliverance right away, they start casting out devils. you see what you're doing? At the onset of salvation, the man which has been freed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, now is taken back into bondage, they are taken back into the old things and the nature is corrupted through doctrine that is witchcraft that is witchcraft I know a man when he got born again they told him for deliverance so you can be cleansed fast for 40 days, new born again Christian this is a babe it's like a mother giving birth to a child and they met them fast. they starved them. Paul says, when you are babes, you desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow therein. The first onset when somebody has come to Christianity was supposed to introduce them to the person of the word. What is love? What is the new life you have received in Jesus? That's discipleship. Are you hearing me? How do you live the life of God through grace? For it is expedient that the heart be established in grace. So we establish the new creation in grace. But people in their own set of salvation, they go for deliverance. Satan knows if he can get that which has been delivered (laughs) through salvation and take it back into bondage, He can keep it there for 20 years. And then you look at Christians who have been rebuking devils for 30, 40 years and nothing has changed on their lives. They're poorer, they're sick, they're beggarly, everything that they were before they got born again, even they are worse. Doctrine. That's why later in Galatians, Paul says this persuasion did not come from God. He says, who persuaded you off? Who took you off that you should not obey? He says, this persuasion, this kind of convincing persuasion, persuasion, manipulation. Did you see? This persuasion is not from him who called you. He says, this persuasion, because some people are persuaded out of it. They are persuaded into deception. People are persuaded. People are convinced they are manipulated into believing that kind of deception. Galatians 5, this persuasion cometh not from him that calleth you. So that is the word persuasion. That is manipulation. They are manipulated. So any ministry that teaches the law has a strand of witchcraft. any ministry. doesn't matter how much activity we see, there is witchcraft in that ministry. Any ministry that does not recognize the position of the new creation in Christ is under witchcraft. In fact, for some, when they fail to manipulate, they teach teachings that intimidate people into fear and harm. If you don't do this, this spirit will catch you. If you don't do that, this demon will catch you. If you don't do this, this attack will come. If you don't do that, this will come. That is witchcraft. That is witchcraft. Many deliverance ministries, not all, not all, underlying but many deliverance ministries are working under the craft of witchcraft. Not the operation of the spirit of God. And I say that because I cast out devils too. So the issue is not about the casting out of devils. But after they are free, do we help them walk in the life of freedom or every day we teach them back into that bondage because of the signs physical that are seen with their outside life? So we don't build that which is within the man. The life of salvation goes within a man. He's able to do exceedingly above that which you dare to ask according to the working power that worketh where? In you. We must show them that they have a treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of power might be of God. We must show them that greater is he which is in them than he which is in the world. But what we're teaching them, we're emphasizing the demons that are strangling them. That is witchcraft. The next is through the prophetic ministry prophetic ministry. When we're teaching about the church of Jesus Christ, the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2, when it speaks of the angel of the church in Thyatira, Revelations 2.19, he says to the church in Thyatira, I know your works and charity and service and faith and your patience and your works and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, he says, I have a few things against you because you suffer that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. You see, Jezebel calleth herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and eat of things sacrificed and two idols. Now, let me explain this. The manipulative, intimidating dominance has also crept into the prophetic movement. The prophetic movement. Do you know that when the Bible says it gave some to be apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, he says, for the perfecting, they are all available to perfect the saints for the work of ministry to the edification of the body. Everything done, even in the prophetic movement, is for the perfecting of every saint for the work of ministry to the edification of the body. What is the one ardent edification of the body of Christ? Souls souls, if this is not witchcraft, how can a man fill a whole stadium or an open place and speak for four, five, six years and they've never made an altar call, who are they building for, who are they building for, who are they building for, you preach about Jesus and you cannot give an opportunity to people to receive him as their personal Lord and Savior, What are we building for? Remember, if you go back to the mind of this woman, right? A daughter of Zidon. Ahab married Jezebel, okay? Yeah, we all talk about Jezebel being the woman who, you know, she was intimidating, she was dominating. She was above even the king of Israel. She was manipulative and seductive. eh? The servants of God are seduced. Commit fornication. When you study Jezebel, the spirit, its glory is in the honor and control of people by a man and not God. Never forget that. Never forget that. When God is speaking about the throne, on which the Christ is going to come unto, Luke chapter 1, the 31st verse. He tells Mary that, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Why is Jesus Christ given the throne of David? Why not any other king? You ask yourself that question. Why does he come on the throne of David, his father? How can the son of God go to a place of being son to David? How can God submit himself to the throne of David? He's trying to say that the spirit that is at work within David, that is the spirit on which I submit all glory. How did David become king through service? How did David live as king? Through the fear of the Lord. How did David carry himself, study him as a masterpiece of the anointing? I've already told you that. You want to understand how the anointing of the spirit works? Study David, you'll understand it. It's this very throne that Christ sits onto. Why do you think Jesus Christ is born in a manger, not a five-star hotel? Why do you think he's among the drunkards? Why do you think he's among the publicans? Why do you think he's washing feet? Why do you think he's among the craziest people of this world and is called a gluttonous man and a wine biber? Why do you think the Bible says he's counted among the sinners? because he was present where darkness was. He was present where people were. Today, it's almost as though when you become a man of God, you're supposed to be specially guarded and (laughs) because you are a man of God. Some people have disconnected even from the people of God because they are men of God. They are men of God. They've exalted themselves even above the throne of David. And their works are not works of service among people. They don't serve God and they don't serve men. No, they serve their own selves. The Bible says they serve their own belly. And so they've created this God thing around them and everybody else is inferior. They are dominative and everyone around them is nothing. That's witchcraft. Because now men are starting to speak as God. And everyone inferior to listen to them as God even when what they're doing is not right. Now, because of that, instead of the glorification of the person of Jesus Christ and his name, now we are building idols out of our men of God and now we're glorifying men and not God. If you don't have the t-shirt of the man of God, you're in trouble. If you don't have their water, you're in trouble. If you don't buy their own oil, you're not going to walk free. Your marriage is not going to work. If you don't buy the prophet's shoe, if you don't buy the prophet's hanky, your business is not going to break through. If you don't by the prophet's chair your finances are not going to go beyond if you don't listen to only the prophet everybody else is dead except the prophet some prophets have become the rulers of the realm the whole realm of the universe (laughs) oh my goodness and then things happen and then you see later that they were just men they have a body too something comes, it provokes that glory that's built beyond the throne of David. The ministry of the gospel is supposed to be a ministry of humility. Not a ministry that exalts us beyond Christ. We are not to build ourselves beyond the man we represent. No, we must decrease, and he must increase in us. Every inheritance that I have in Christ is available for every believer. If I'm a king, you are a king too. If I'm a priest, you are a priest too. Yes, God exclusively anoints us in certain ways for us to be leaders of men. But when Paul comes to them, he says not that we are emphasizing faith over you. Paul emphasizes it. Not that we're emphasizing faith over you. We're not trying to build faith over you. We're trying in some simple way to communicate and give our part in the gospel that in the end you'll be edified. That's the essence of the gospel. 2 so Corinthians one twenty-four, He says, Not that we have dominion over your face, he says, but we are helpers of your joy. For by faith you stand, not us. You don't stand by apostle grace. You stand by faith. You stand by faith. Do you know why the prophetic movement is running crazy in the world? I doubt if a prophetic person listened to an apostolic voice, they would run wild. Yet when a man becomes an apostle, the first thing God emphasizes on you, first thing is humility. In fact, Paul says, we apostles seem like we are the last. Of the least of all men. We're counted as the scum of the earth. You see, you can never be great until you become the least. That's the way we go up. We go up by descending down. Never forget that. We don't go up by building kingdoms around us. Now, divination comes into the church and takes the place of the true prophetic spirit in the church. And you start to see the works of a diviner. The works of a diviner. Than the ministry of the prophetic. How do you know? Simple. Every time you put a price to the prophetic, you're working under witchcraft. The Elisha's refused gifts. I'm not saying that all gifts are wrong, but they designed when a gift came to corrupt. The Bible says somewhere in Ecclesiastes how gifts corrupt. A man can be corrupted by the gifting. I'm not saying that everything they give you is wrong, but every time we put a price on the prophetic, that is divination. Because if you read in the Old Testament, there was a reward of divination. There was a price on every diviner. In the book of Acts, when it speaks of a girl with the spirit of divination, the Bible says she brought much gain to her masters through soothsaying. You see, gain. That spirit always has a place of gain. Every time we put a price and a demand on men because of our gifting, then we are working under witchcraft. And I'm not saying that these are not prophets. I'm only saying that sometimes some prophets have consulted beyond the liberties of their office, and now they are operating under some other spirit. But because the gifting and calling of God is without repentance, the man or woman of God stays accurate. And if you speak this, because it's a spirit at work, they cannot see that it is love trying to redeem. But I will help the one which is growing into this never to make these mistakes, because many have been destroyed. Two years ago, three, I prophesied about the shakeup in a certain nation in the south of Africa. You've had some things. And it's not that we're against people. No, no. But these are things we saw far. How come some of them never saw? You understand what I'm saying? Because you see, it's easy to reheed to a familiar spirit that speaks like the Holy Spirit. Because it can be so accurate, yet not true. Ministry has foundations. Salvation is key. Salvation is key. Transformation is key. How are we going to raise children in the ministry? How are we going to grow our marriages in ministry? How are we going to help people transition through stages of life? And every man, whether you're an evangelist or what, you have to be able to understand that there are things that govern the ministry of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. What we have today in the church more is fortune-telling and it is the true prophetic movement of God. It's fortune-telling. They gather to know what will advantage them in the oracles. They gather to know what will give them the husband, what will give them the child, what will give them the car, what will give them the business. What will, how many gather to hear what their calling is? How many gather to hear the things that they must count for loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ? How many gather to know Christ? Because Satan is riding on our last. Jezebel is manipulating through the prophetic. Even young boys who can't afford rent also are controlling people. You find a little young boy with a Chinese suit and... You know, he's also controlling. He's also speaking. You, eh? make three steps. Person made three steps. Bah, bah, bah. How many men have you slept with? The woman says, oh my God, three. Did you tell me? Did I know? Do I live with you? <laughs> and people say, oh my God, the man of God can see the spirit. They've gone beyond seeing who people sleep with. Now they're speaking of colors, of people's knickers. The Holy Ghost can't take a man of God into a woman's knicker. That is something else. But there are videos of certain prophets who have gone to that extent. And we are calling that the prophetic. So you ask, since they prophesied on your life, how much have you done for the kingdom? Have you really been perfected for the work of ministry, to the edification of the body? No, you just got a good job and bought more expensive cosmetic, But nothing has changed in their lives. Saints, this is witchcraft. This is witchcraft. Something is wrong. People look like they have a spell on their lives. Even the way they talk, you can see that somebody is bewitched. God has not called us to be gods among the sons of God. Because they too are gods as sons and daughters of God. We are equal heirs in this faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. God has called us to minister from a place of humility. One time, uh, as in a certain country, there was a ministry. Somebody told me, you know, these guys had what they call angel oil. So if you want angels, you buy the prophet's oil. (laughs) So if you want an angel to keep your car, you get a little of that oil and put it in the car. You will see. The angels will guard the car. I said, this funny guy has degraded the ministry of the angelic to his oil you feel your business is not moving, pour oil on the business. The Christian they are telling that is not tithing. And the Christian thinks that by pouring oil at the church, something is going to change their finances when they are not doing what the Bible has said concerning giving. That's witchcraft. And to find that you can explain that to somebody and they still buy the oil, what do you call it? (laughs) Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Manipulation, domination, and intimidation. That's what Jezebel did. She kills the true prophetic, and then raises her own prophets. She kills the prophetic in the man, and then raises a deceptive prophetic. Today, not many men are speaking from God. Oh my goodness, I prophesied COVID, for example, I did. If some people had prophesied COVID, some of the guys I know had prophesied COVID, Oh, everybody would be on their knees now. Everybody bow down, worship, because I can tell you whether you're going to die tomorrow or you're not. I I know people, if they had prophesied COVID, you see, I prophesied the recent volcanoes. Oh, if I know certain people in the world, if they had prophesied the volcano, that day every king in that nation should be on their knees because they saw the volcano coming. Listen, God is raising people that hear him across the world. And they're about to shake many things that we call the prophetic. You're going to hear a new level of the prophetic. What God calls the prophetic. We've not seen the prophetic. We have not seen the prophetic. If you go in the Bible, men stopped the sun. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Men stopped the sun. I'm not about just calling your phone number. Men stopped the sun under one word. Do you understand what I'm saying? Economies changed because of men's words. It's not about your personal detail of you ate food last week. No, no, I'm talking about the true voice of God that will bring the church to repentance and the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're talking about a place where a man will sit before a prophet and go back and repent of all their sin. That's called a prophetic. Not fortune-telling. Somebody shout hallelujah. And if God, by his grace, will help us understand this, because somebody can hear, he's attacking. I'm not attacking. I don't have time. Okay, let God judge me if I'm attacking, but I don't have time to attack a man unless you don't understand the apostolic. The apostolic can't do anything against the truth. We're not that kind. We're not that kind. I don't do that. I don't fight. But pain for souls that are growing in things that cannot instruct or even define who they are before God. And many live their lives and die without having fulfilled even an ounce of what God called them to do because they cannot tell the difference between the voices. They cannot. Jezebel is prophesying on our altars and we call that the Spirit of God. It is causing men to lust more for the things of this world than the realities of the Spirit and the realities of the spirit. That's why many people are not transformed in the prophetic movement. I'm not saying all prophets are wrong. Mark me. But many people are not. You look at what happened in America. How many prophets spoke that Trump was going to be president? They prophesied and said everything. And when Trump did not become president, I watched one on a very... Notable Christian television saying, you know what, God said that Trump would be president, but it's our responsibility as Americans to go voting. So even though God said he's going to be president, it's the responsibility of the church to do it. So many people do not vote. So he's trying to say that the sovereignty of God's word is based on a man's vote. Listen, a man can be president whether you vote him or you don't. A man can be president whether there is an election or there is not. But what they could not do was to swallow the hard pill that they don't actually hear God like they claim to hear God. But how can you blame them? Classical Pentecostalism has been destroyed for Neo-Pentecostalism. That's why you find men with stadiums of 20,000 members, but that man cannot speak about the power of the cross. That's why you find them sitting before 16,000 members, and they're, they're giving hope to the world, but they can't talk about the infill of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They can't teach a teaching on speaking in tongues. So people come to church they are just receiving... <laughs> Someone's like they're taking drugs to help cover their confusion because they want to hear everything that can help them move through the week. What that woman needs is to receive the Holy Ghost, that she can speak in tongues and feel God near, that the Spirit of God will show her things to come. Now we are talking like motivational speakers. We're motivating. We're not revealing Christ. The demonstration of the spirit on the altar has been replaced with illustrations that only become as clear as how much technology we have enough to define illustrations. And we call illustration demonstration. The power of God has left the altar. How many can now walk to a blind eye and tell it open? How many can now walk to a crippled bone and tell it walk? They don't have that power. They don't have that power. They can only speak. And they're doing what they're trying because some of them, it's not their fault. They inherited something. They inherited something. They also don't know how it came, but they just cannot say certain things. Even when they get on secular pulpits, they can't say that Jesus Christ saves. They can't. It's a hard thing. Now, in the book of Revelation, you find Jesus speaking to his churches. Certain churches have imported the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And what is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? The spirits that work in men to corrupt altars. And we call them visiting preachers because they think every visiting preacher is beneficial. They're not bringing that man because he has some to add on their congregation, but they're bringing that man because they can keep the congregation, because they want to give the congregation everything and everyone that they want to come so that they can keep the congregation. No, he started the land hour, not because God led him, but because he wanted to collect enough money sustain the building. Now he can't preach every lunch hour. So he needs two, three, four, five people to come and help him. The Nicolasian spirit comes on the altar. Why? Because it comes to corrupt the simple. Before you know that, the man of God has rebellion in his own church, and he doesn't know why his people are rebelling. Why? The guy he put on the altar defiled it with his doctrine. So you ask him, why in the first place did you put lunch hour? I was copying a certain man of God because it could help me pay the bills of the building. Listen, some people who started lunch hour were inspired by God to start it. Are you hearing me? And some did it because they were copying other people and somebody told them that is the only way you can pay off the rent of the building. How many men are doing overnight so they can collect enough money? They're not doing overnight because they want people to be changed. They're doing services not because they want people to be transformed. But they need some money. That's witchcraft. That leads me to the third thing, the treading of the gifts. Now this goes beyond the prophetic. This goes to a point where every gift, that's the third point, every gift in the church has become a place of trading. Although the example given mostly in the book of Revelation is Balaam. eh? He had to trade his gift. He goes to the king. uh, Balak wants him to curse them for him, the Jews. He cannot curse whom the Lord has blessed. And so what does he do? He teaches (laughs) Balak. Cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. He goes to him and tells him, Yes, my gift cannot cast them, but I can teach you how to place a curse on them without my prophetic. That's what Balak paid for. So the gift is traded. And so when he speaks of how the children of Israel were taught to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. When we go to fornication, the deeper place of fornication is not just two people coming together and sin. no. Fornication and profanity is a bigger spirit because it's the spirit that treads the gift of God. That's fornication. That is why in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the Bible speaks of, lest there be a fornicator or a profane person as Esau who for one muzzle of meat sold his birthright for, you know how that afterward he would not have inherited the blessing. He was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sowed it carefully with tears. The gift was treaded on the altar. He saw a muzzle of meat and traded it for his own inheritance. And the Bible calls him a fornicator and a profane man. So when you're talking about fornication in church, it's not just people sleeping together illegitimately or illegally. Fornication in church also, is on the people who are selling their gifts and trading them. Do you know how many preachers, and I'm saying this because I'm a man of God, great, wonderful gifts I've seen on television, and you tell this person, I feel this person will benefit us, and you write to them and you tell them, you know what? Can you come in Uganda and preach? And this guy tells you, you know what? I preach $10,000 per service. And their assistant tells you, if you don't send the first installment of that money and the tickets paid for the man or woman of God, they're not going to come to Uganda. Because if you don't sell it, if they don't sell it, they can't minister. The Prophets are prophesying for wages. I've been around men of God. They even state their price, give me three or 10 million and I'll be on your Sunday service. If you don't pay that, they're not going to step there. How did the gospel get to the level where man had to tread his gift? And for those who have had me and do it or have seen others doing it and you continue doing it after this sermon, what do you call that? Witchcraft. Musicians in the gospel industry, if you don't pay them, they can't sing. And they have a justification for it, but not biblically. Were we paid on every sermon, did we not preach when there was no food? Did we not put our money in what God had called us to do, even before anybody recognized we could preach? As a worshiper, you have to be able to invest in your craft. Ask God to give you the money because you don't need that pay on the altar for God to make you wealthy. That's why my boys, who are in the music industry, are driving cars and living well, and they're not living off what is paid on that altar wherever they go. They're living off the blessing of God that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. But you find a musician who says, me, if they don't pay me three million, I'm not coming. Three million, they're not coming. Imagine me telling a man that if you don't pay me $20,000, I'm not going to come to the pulpit, and I'm Apostle Grace. Listen, do you know what we do in the lives of people? Here's the five minutes of singing. Do you know what we do in the lives of people? We speak for hours. We counsel them every week. But we don't put a price on the gospel. Every time you put a price on the gospel, that is the spirit of witchcraft because it can only minister where it is paid. So when we get in the church, in Revelation chapter 2, the 12th verse, we see that Pagamos does it? the doctrine of balaam is eminent it can do everything to get money there are people now even if you do what they cannot preach without speaking about money they can't even if you do what You you, you cannot preach they can't teach if they don't talk about money they cannot have a service it has gone so far that the spirit would work on a man when tens and millions of people are watching. He would rather invest two hours reading who gave two shillings than preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a man at the verge of committing suicide and he switches on and he finds a man fundraising, fundraising and fundraising, two, three, four, five hours. Even the people in the world have started to look at us like we are thieves born-again Christians, they're thieves. And I know why they call us so. Because we don't even have any shame. We don't have any shame. If Jesus walked into a meeting of a person dying on a bed, would he first take an offering? What's wrong with the church? Witchcraft. Witchcraft. That is why, especially the Pentecostal church, we don't have the results of what we claim we have. We scream, we shout, but we don't have the results of what we claim to have. The power of God is leaving our altars every day. And our people are dying of diseases that should leave when they enter the meetings. Because now we are not following the pattern, the principle that God has laid before us, which is truth. Don't ever trade your gift. No man can ever pay you... what God is able to pay you with your gift. If you are a musician... if they call you, go here, pray. The Spirit tells you, go to that church. Go. If they ask you, how much do you want us to pay you? Tell them, as the Spirit leads you... I'm not putting a price on my gift. Don't sell it. Paul says, and what is my reward then? That I might preach the gospel with no charge... lest I abuse my power... In the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.18. One time I was in America, and a man asked me before I preached on his altar. He said, How much honorarium do you want us to give you, Apostle? And I told him, There is no amount of money you can pay for what I'm going to give you. No amount. So, what are we going to do, sir? I told him, as you're led, even if you don't give me, I'm supplied. I told you I'm supplied preached the gospel, and after the service, he stood before people openly, and he said, this man has given us things that even people we pay $50,000 to come on this altar could not give us. And I said, praise God. And when I heard him say that, I felt it in my spirit that I didn't even want his offering anymore because I was communicating to him something, that why are we treading the gift of God one time I asked a friend, why do you put a price on your sermons?" He says, I want to know whether people are serious. I said to the Holy Spirit would tell you whether a ministry is serious or not. Since when did the scale become on how much money they are able to pay? No wonder the saints of God have been corrupted on altars they're not even supposed to step onto because all you need to get them there is $50,000, however corrupt it is. So the gospel has become a business place. The house of God is now a place of trading. Gifts and talents. That's witchcraft. People are dying. You find people on lines, and they have to pay money to see the man of God. They have to pay money to see the man of God. The man of God has to be paid for you to see them. A woman is holding her baby. The child is dying of the kidneys are all gone and kid is zonedish and she can't breathe and they put her in a line of 70 people it doesn't matter whether that kid dies but to enter you have to pay for the man of God to pray for your child something is wrong in the church that's why we pray for them for free and they heal let me tell you the world will hear us <laughs> you wait, it's only a matter of time because God is building the church God is building the church. Jesus never healed for a pay. He never healed for a pay. $1,000 to have lunch with the man of God. $2,000 to meet the man of God privately. $100 for you to have a five-minute meeting. 500 if you want an hour. And people are paying for it as they are transacting before a physician. Consultation. And they say, you know, you cannot muzzle the ox that treads out the hay. No, that's an instruction to the giver. It's an instruction to the person, not to you, man of God. Yes, the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due, praise to whom praise is due, custom to whom custom is due. That is you to give it. It's not from the man of God to demand it. And some even in the process make God speak. Huh? (laughs) and impress it on people that if you don't honor me, you're going to die tomorrow. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the teaching of God. Yes, honor God's servants. That's true. But not as we invite that honor, no. But as God reveals it to you to honor. Because many honor in falsehood. Praise God. This is my prayer. God For the churches that have been affected, some deliberate and some honestly are just victims who form systems and structures and ways of worship that they don't even know meanings for. Help us. Help us read of all witchcrafts in our midst, in our ministries, in our churches, in our fellowships. Help us, oh God. We don't even judge those men and women, no. Because some of them probably are doing something they've seen another do on television or radio. But may you bring them and us all to the serving knowledge of the truth that witchcraft will leave our altars and that true worship will come back on the altar. We believe of days where men will get on altar and blind eyes start opening, the deaf hear even without a man speaking of men convicted of sin even without being told a word because your spirit is available to convict us of sin align our doctrine oh god bend us and kill us oh god establish us in the way and course we should go and i pray for those individuals that are a result of witchcraft and the consequences of witchcraft some of you have lost money families businesses Relationships. I pray that may God restore you. In Jesus' name, we pray and believed. Amen. Clap your hands to Jesus. If you have never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. Just repeat these words after me. You say, "Lord Jesus, I thank You, because You shed Your blood for my sins and was raised." For my glory, tonight I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 41 466